You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Yeah, I bet it did. But unfortunately for you, um, life did come down to earth um, with a bit of a mighty bump that summer when, when you got the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Um, I remember reading about it in your book, but for those who are not aware, just can you just remind people what happened that um, that led to you being tested and getting the diagnosis? Well, it's just so, I mean, I'm, th- I'm very thankful 20, 25 years ago now, I've been relatively well, uh, no real issues, but at that time, I didn't realise the, the diagnosis, what the prognosis would be, how it was going to go. And I say I've been very fortunate that um, I'm very thankful for my health. I never take my health for granted. Um, but I certainly didn't know at that time how it was, what was going to happen. And obviously, football point of view, I thought my football was finished. And it was just a, a strange feeling in my legs I was having. And Aberdeen being I get access to medical uh, MRI scans and things like that. I had done that pretty. I'd done something. It was actually connected to a migraines that I was getting bothered with, and I went for an MRI during the season. Um, and it, they probably found something that didn't alert me to at the time. But then in the summer, when I had these funny feelings in my legs, and set alarm bells ringing, and so very quickly I was diagnosed. Uh, with, as you say, their MS and uh, with mild symptoms of it. So the, at that stage, you don't know what's going to happen. And as I say, thankfully, uh, it's been okay. I've been okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's 25 years ago. Just like you're saying, 30 years ago since the cup final. It's, it's amazing. Just all seems like yesterday. But, you know, thankfully, that's a long time. But uh, been pretty well, but never take my health for granted, and very thankful for my health. So in that respect, it's actually a positive because it's you know I'm thankful for my health in a way that you didn't ever think about. Being thankful for your health before you just took it for granted. So you know that I would say is a positive from that point of view, John. Yeah, um, and I've I've got a friend. I think I mentioned this to you um, before. I've got a friend called Steve who's. Um, get MS and you know he has his um, ups and down, down days uh, what would you what sort of advice would you give to people in your position that in how you overcame it and how they can um, deal with their their life have known that they've got this yeah well it's all as I say unfor- not, no matter how uh, how good your attitude is it's sometimes out with your control what happens you know and how badly it affects you but no matter what happens I think you've just got to be really positive so again going back to the mental health health side as things we spoke about earlier in the interview you've just got to have a positive mental attitude and no matter you know not it's not what happens in life it matters it's how you handle it that's a, a good mantra and a good cli- well cliche if you don't really mean it but it's a good mantra i would say it's not what happens to you but how you handle it so you've just got to you know uh when you have a bad day look have hope that tomorrow will be a good day. Now, sometimes it's things that are out of your control, and so there's nothing you can do about it. And, but there's no no harm in having a positive attitude and hoping and doing all you can. I mean, I'm quite careful. I like to, for example, today I still like to walk a lot. 
because I, I never take walking for granted and in fact I can walk it I enjoy a walk you know so I think it's important to just don't take anything for granted be really positive and just hope for it hope and do all you can to to you know do the best make make the best that you can and you know you have your bad days in terms of mental side of it or if it's physical but you know there'll always be a good day you know that's the positive side you've got to look at it you've got to be positive that way you know that you'd have to speak to it's okay saying that but you have to speak to somebody in that way or pretty uh, cliched if it, was, if it was didn't mean a lot to somebody who was in a pretty bad situation physically for example the image you have is MS is somebody in a wheelchair so if somebody's lost the use of their, their legs or parts of them then that that would sound a bit hollow so you'd have to it's all very well me saying that but you've got to it's not just general information for everybody with that condition it's got to be relevant to their own position how they are affected as well but I think in, on the whole try and be positive try and have a positive mental attitude and, and you know the other thing I always feel is never give up you always do all you can to to make the best and, and you say never give up and that's the way I was as a football player and that's the way I, I'm in kind of a lot of my way I approach things in life um, so I that's not that's not specific advice for every single person. That's just a kind of general advice how I dealt with it for my own situation. Yeah, that's that's a great attitude to have, and you know, for lesser people, they might not have been back in the football pitch again. You were back on, I think, four months later. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Kilmarnock your first game back? Um, no, it was better than that. It was Ross County. It was a friendly up at Dingwall, and nobody ah. was expecting it. And uh, it was quite a surprise. The managed to score. Come on, as a sub at half time, and scored in that game. So that was that was exciting. And another thing, just before you ask a question as well, after I came back from the diagnosis, I actually played more games uh, than I did before. It was about halfway through my career, but, but a lot of the games in the early days, you know, I hadn't been playing in the first team. I spoke about how I'd been out the team and in the team, but I was, I was more regular by this day. So. Most of my, I played more games after the diagnosis than before it, and again, that's a good encouragement to end it. You know, never give up because, you know, whether it was 39 or whatever age I played to, I managed to play more games after something pretty bad had happened, and you know, against all the odds, because um, a lot of people would have written you off. Um, but you know, the most important thing is don't write yourself off. Yeah, and when you um, went back in the pitch, was that almost like making your debut all those years before against Clyde Bank? Yeah, in a different way. That's a good good description, though, John. It's it's yeah. It was just I think I heard something in the television tonight because we were we're in the coronavirus problem just now. Where it's people who have had uh, the, the virus and unfortunately got it severe. You know who have ended up in intensive care and they've been describing this kind of scene uh, now they've they're come through the intensive care and they're, they're now recovering and they're now just seeing the sun shining and not taking anything for granted and that's what it was like just you know you get a wake up call in life you get a big moment that happens in your life and you know 
you don't take things for granted. And that's what happened with the MS. You didn't take anything for granted anymore. If you did before, it wasn't deliberate. It was just you just general thing that you did before. But after that, you didn't take things for granted. And just a, a nice sunny day. Uh, I, used to, I used to think, for example, the smell of the, the, the field, you know, when you're warming up for a game, there's a certain smell of the grass. These things like that were just to, to, to experience again when you thought it was taken away from you. And when you get that wake-up call in life, then, you know, in, in many ways, for example, what we're going through just now, you just wonder, will life ever be the same? Well, maybe not, but maybe a lot of the things that won't be the same will be for the better because you'll appreciate things a lot more than, than what you used to, and that, that's just the way life is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, I can only speak from my own perspective. Um, I, I can't wait to see other um my family a lot more um after all this is all done um but from your point of view with regards to the ms um having gone through that um did that help deal with the the disappointment of being told by roy Aitken, um at the end of the 96 97 season that you were um no longer required and uh, free transferred uh, out the club just a couple months after your testimonial against wimbledon uh, in terms of putting things in perspective yeah because it wasn't life-threatening or it wasn't it wasn't quite the end of the world. But from a football point of view, John, it was the end of the world for me because I always wanted to finish my playing career at Aberdeen. And I was determined to finish my career at Aberdeen and I just wanted to play uh, as long as I could for, for Aberdeen. And so to, and, but you, as a football player, you don't have that choice. That choice ultimately lies with the manager in the football club. And unfortunately for me in 97, that came to an end. And, but I felt I'd something still to prove. And so I signed for Dundee. I'd, a couple of offers with Big Alec McLeish was now the manager at Motherwell. So he was keen for me to sign for them. St. Johnston, Paul Sturrock was keen for me to sign for St. Johnston. Um, and obviously the funny, well, the one that I signed for was John McCormick at Dundee. Dundee allowed me to stay on and live in Aberdeen and just commute with other boys. There was two or three other boys, Gavin Ray, who ended up signing for Aberdeen, Hugh Robertson, and a boy called Jerry O'Driscoll. And we used to travel down in the car. So I signed for Dundee, but still lived in Aberdeen. But the other thing I had, was the motivation I had to play for Dundee, we were in the championship, which we won the championship in the first division at the time. Got back into the Premier. The motivation for me was I still had a point to prove Roy Aitken shouldn't have let me go from Aberdeen. Roy had now left Aberdeen, I think, well, sacked from Aberdeen. But I still felt, and maybe Roy never thinks for a minute to this day, but I still felt I had a point to prove to Roy that I could still do it at the top level. And so the following season with Dundee, we ended up finishing fifth, finished above Dundee United, and we also finished above Aberdeen. And that gave me a sense that you know, you were wrong to let me go, Roy. It didn't change anything, but I felt myself, proved to myself that I, I had still a couple of years at the top level. Indeed, one, I could have signed for another year with Indy after that, but uh, Ross County had tried before that to sign me before I went to Dundee when I first left Aberdeen. And now I thought they're still wanting to sign me. I think I'll go to Ross County because that's away from the top level. They were, they were in the second division. 
which is the one below the championship then, the old second division. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the Ross County. It was a kind of family club. Roy, Roy McGregor, the chairman, sold it to me. And I thought that's where I wanted to finish my career. And, and that's why, for example, I still live in Inverness just now, where we moved up 20 years ago. Um, and so consolidated Ross County, getting them eventually the equivalent of what the championship is now. And now the Premier Club, though, but uh, that was what kept that. Mo- going back to the thing with Roy, that that was the motivation to show Roy just maybe let me go a bit too early. I think it's definitely another couple of years in me to play at the top level. And you know, I think where I finished with Dundee, above Dundee United, Aberdeen, and the Premier League a couple of years after I left Aberdeen, proved to to myself anyway that I did have that couple of years at the top level. And then I finished my career. The last few years with Ross County in the lower league. Yeah, I mean, you obviously sound as though you've got a lot of satisfaction from your time at Dundee, and uh, one particular fixture that you you must have enjoyed was the Dundee Derby four times that season and winning twice at Tannadice. Just what was it like um, playing in such a big derby? Well, yeah, the, the second one was the best one. But both games were really good to beat them twice, two times, but the second time I scored one of the goals, I mean, I I rose above uh, Seb Dykstra to head the corner in from Hugh Robertson corner. So, yeah, that, that was a special goal. My two years at Dundee were actually very, really enjoyable. And, you know, I've got a lot of fond memories of my time at Dundee and, and really thankful for them. Yeah, so I didn't actually realise you'd scored in the second game. The, the, the only game that I remember out the two was the one where James Grady scored an absolute screamer over Dexter in the first one, because that was on that was on TV. So right. uh, it must have been nice for you then scoring a Dundee Derby. <laughs> yeah, the, the two the two games were memorable. Both the one 0 when James Grady scored a screamer and the two 0 win we had in the near the end. That just that two 0 win at the end actually cemented a uh, fifth position in the Premier League meant we're going to finish above the United and finish above Aberdeen as well in the league. So that, that was sweet. Um, but I remember coming back up after the game, after that Tannadice game, um, to my house in Aberdeen and going to the student, students' parade. And I remember, you know, amongst the crowd and the, uh, the torturers' parade coming up through Queen's Cross and just that satisfaction job done that day. Um and it was just a personal satisfaction because I say, Roy Aitken won't ever think for a minute what happened, but I know I had something left and I, you know, I proved it from my time it had the outcome after that second season at Dundee. Have you ever spoken to Roy Aitken um, in the last 23 years since he let you go? No, no, I've never managed to... I don't know where Roy is now, but a lot of things with football, you lose touch and once you're no longer at the club, you know, you all go your separate ways and you either lose touch or at best you'll, you'll see somebody in the passing and in some football event in some capacity but no I've never had the chance to see Roy you know, all these years Would you like to, to ask him why? No I don't. he would probably have his reasons but that was certainly another disappointment because I'd have liked to have stayed my, and finished my career at Aberdeen as a player and who knows if I could have got involved in the coaching side in Aberdeen that would have been ideal Yeah well you you ended up finishing your career at Ross County. Um, for, um, you had two different managers. First of all, um, an Aberdeen icon and Neil Cooper, um, Neil Tatty Cooper. Um, just what kind of character was he? Yeah, Neil was a bit fiery. Uh, I'm just going to get a, a charger for the phone because the battery light came on there. So okay. Just a second. 
Nein, da waren sie richtig. Und ich just come up saying a warning in the back there, well, I'm through now. So, yeah, Neil, Neil was a, a good character to, to play under. He's very fiery. Um, it didn't make it particularly easy for me to just enjoy my football. I think the reason for that was, if you think about it, he was maybe a little bit suspicious. The main person that was behind me um, coming to Ross County was the chairman. And so Roy, Roy McGregor was keen for me to sign for Ross County, whereas Neil would have liked me to sign, but it wasn't necessarily Neil's choice. I think Neil was a little bit suspicious that I was maybe looking for his job, which never for a minute was a... So it wasn't a smooth relationship with Neil. It was always a little bit, you know... Uh, and Neil was quite, quite a passionate guy. And, you know, we got success by winning the second division, consolidating the championship, a few good cup games. But, you know, some of the, I think uh, Ross County are known to, to, you know, if you think over the years, quite a number of managers have went through. And so it's not an easy position for a manager to work it in. At Ross County, so I think he, he he was never really the jovial, happy, go lucky Neil that we all so you remember Neil. That's the character Neil Cooper is. Couldn't he wouldn't like that as a as a manager because he, you know there was a wee bit of pressure, and eventually that's why he I think he resigned before Alex Smith took over at Ross County. Um, but you know the happy go lucky Neil, the, the laugh a minute guy, and the, always telling jokes. He didn't really see that fun side of him a lot, especially as it got to the end of his time before he was, he was sacked at Ross County, which is disappointing because once you met him after he was back in Aberdeen and left Ross County, it was back to the jovial Neil. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the experiences and the time I had at Ross County were, were a good end to my career. I, I wouldn't have... I would have if I could have chosen a bit end of my career, I'd have said something like, well, after I finished playing, I went and did a bit of coaching in America, for example. So I'd be able to get the clock brought forward and maybe finish my, the connections that I managed to make in America. I could have had a couple of seasons at the end of my career in America. That would have been more, maybe more relaxed and a more beneficial uh, way to finish my career. But on the whole, I think the Ross County was... It was quite a, a positive experience. I, I've been living up in Inverness now for nearly 20 years, so it can't be that bad. I think we'll be back in Aberdeen by now. But, you know, still, so now between Inverness and Aberdeen, apart from just now where you can't travel between the two, you know, generally I've floated between Aberdeen and Inverness and what, as you mentioned about the police off here, the job I had in the police for a couple of years was based in Aberdeen, so I was working in Aberdeen but still living up here in Inverness. So, you know, I think it's been, it was quite, I mean, it was a, a good finish to my career and eventually at 39 came to the end and that was time to call it a day. But, you know, it wasn't all 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 wonderful, but it's certainly a, a good, I'm not maybe making a, a, good, um, make a good explanation of how 
how Ross County was. It wasn't all good, but it was it was a good enough finish to my career, and that's where I ended up finishing my career and get actually get involved with coaching because Alex Smith was the manager at Ross County at the time, and so he got me involved helping out in the first team and the, coaching at Ross County at the end of my career. Yeah, that you certainly went down nicely at 39. Um, then a few years later, you had um, an ill-fitted spell at Elgin, although that could be a little bit harsh because people forget that in your, when you first went in, you nearly took them into the, the playoffs. I think it was the first year that the playoffs were in. You missed out by three points, but then the second, the, the, the start of the following season did go so well and you end up leaving. Just, um, you know, just su- summarise the experience overall um, and why you haven't gone back into management since. Well, I've been in, I've been back in management uh, after Elgin, um, but not in Scotland. It was America. I, t- I touched on that when I was uh, earlier. So yeah, I thought you were a coach there. Sorry, I coached out in America, in Carolina, and then Cleveland. The two clubs I was helping out in America with a guy called Martin Rennie. And that came as a result uh, after the time at Elgin. Elgin, unfortunately, didn't work out well in the second season. Um, but again, no, I had to try it. It was a difficult one because it, it's a difficult area, Elgin. It's between Aberdeen and Inverness, right in the middle almost. And so, it, and it was hard to attract players. A lot of the good players in the area and the region would, would play Highland League, or rather just play Highland League than come to Elgin. And so it was difficult to, to get what you wanted, the players and things like that, to come. And the, the goal would have been to get players from um, from Elgin area to play for Elgin, but that just didn't happen. And so, unfortunately, the second season was not a, was not a good season. Um, but I didn't have much time to dwell on it, really, because... Just after that, I got asked by a, a Scotsman called Martin Rennie, who was now living in America, and he was involved with a team in Ohio, Cleveland, and I went out and helped him and assisted him uh, for two seasons, not fully out there for two years, but because he played about a three, four month season. And so it was just over during the summertime, really, in the season, and come back home for the, the winter, back home. And then he did well, so he got promoted to a team in. Uh, Carolina in the USL division, the one below the MLS. So I, I went out for that season. It was supposed to be for two, but after one season, I thought, no, this is too much. All this commuting back between America and, and great experience, but just a bit far traveling. My daughters were just leaving school, so there was no chance. It was all moving over. It was just always just me and Moen. And then he he got he'd done well in the second season, and he took. But now his assistant was Paul Ritchie. And so he'd done well that second season and got the chance to go to the MLS with Vancouver Whitecaps. So I just missed out on that opportunity because I went over a couple of times to Vancouver and enjoyed, enjoyed being with uh, Martin. And he you know, just took me around training, went to the games and things like that with him as, as his friend. And that, but that could be built up a wee relationship as well and that consultancy role that I had with him in Vancouver he actually used me for it in my final throw of the dice which was in Korea so in 2015 I was out in Korea not being paid to do it but just consulting with Martin Rennie to help him with his team in the equivalent of the Korean Championship so there's a Premier League Championship 
and this team was in the championship. And uh, we did well. They'd actually just missed well, the playoffs again, just missed out in the playoffs to get into the Premier League. Um, but I didn't, that was my final throw of the dice because when they asked me to do it in the next year, I, I didn't want to do it. And in actual fact, Martin came back anyway, but he's now in America. So it probably was the right time to come out. So my last throw of the dice, John, was in 2015 when I was consulting with him in, uh, in Korea. And that, that brought the career down to an end. But you know, whether it was Elgin as a coach or the American experience, I really enjoyed the coaching things. And that's what I'm saying about, you know, I've had a couple of years at the end of my playing career in America. I'd have loved to go out. But I was always a one-player man, one-team man. Aberdeen was my team. And if I could have played my whole career as an Aberdeen player, I'd have chosen to do that. But, you know, with... Looking back in your career, you think, oh, it'd be quite nice to jump about like a lot of players did. You'd play a couple of years with this team, a couple of years with that team, and go here, there, and everywhere. For me, at the time as a player, that was just Aberdeen. Uh, Aberdeen is the only team I wanted to play for. You know, with, with hindsight now, 20, nearly 20 years retired, you're thinking, oh, it'd be quite nice to have played and tried your playing career in America. But for me, it was just that one team, and that one team was Aberdeen. Yeah, we well, certainly had a good career. And um, I mean, you mentioned that you went out to America a couple of times, but you, you kept coming back, and then you went out to Korea and came back. Um, were you just always attracted to come back home for family reasons, or was it just circumstances didn't work out? That's a good question, John. It was a combination of both family reasons, because my family were never going to move over. It never suited. My, my daughters, for example, were just at school leaving age, so it never suited for them to, up, to uproot them and take them over to uh, America, and certainly not Korea. Korea was always just really myself. I think it was always going to have to be the... You know, there was a chance I would have went out with my wife, um, and, but she would have had to basically just make her be sitting in a, a house in, or a flat in Korea while I'm training and whatnot, so it would never, never have been ideal. So it was a, com- a combination of family um, and yeah, just, yeah, I think that was the main reason it didn't suit the family and also the other thing was I didn't there were never really jobs that were paying well as well, it was consultancy role, which was basically a, a voluntary thing, my expenses were covered for flight out and where yeah. I was staying, but I didn't earn any income from it Um and in America, again, there was a, wasn't really an income involved. So a combination, family, yes, but also there was no lucrative move. I mean, when I was out in, with uh, Martin in Vancouver, he, it was a time when he just signed Barry Robson and Kenny Miller for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously they wouldn't have been the other extreme. They'd have been saying, you know, um, this amount with six figures on it or whatever, you know that was lucrative for them but for me it was never about that it was just about the experiences that I got in travelling to America and uh, it turned out in Asia as well with, with Korea and, but for me the experiences are worth much more than, the, than any financial gain that you might have managed to negotiate either. I was never about negotiating my football career as a player I never negotiated a good way to finish up is almost to say the way I signed with Aberdeen I signed a blank contract the agreement with Alec Ferguson. I didn't know what I was how long I was signing for. I didn't know what I was signing for, and you know that was the, the naive way I was at, begin, at the beginning. That I carried on throughout my career, and, and you know 
it was never about the money. It was just all about the experiences. And maybe I don't know who was right and who was wrong, but I think, think the experiences outweigh the money. Yeah. Well, things happen for a reason. Um, but I'm just going to ask a few almost quite fire questions to Ennis because I appreciate that we've been talking for quite a bit um, and I do appreciate you giving your time. So just a few um, questions to round off. Um, first of all, um, the, who's, who's been the best manager you've played under? I think the highlight, uh, the best manager would have to be Sir Alec. But um, in saying that, a lot of respect for Alex Smith. But I think Sir Alec, having been his player for a couple of years before he went to Manchester United, if you didn't pick him, you would, would have to say why not? Because, you know, without, for my, in my opinion, he's the best manager in modern times. Did you get any hairdryer treatment off him? No, because I think he was clever enough to know that some guys needed the hairdryer treatment, but not everybody. And because I'm more kind of kind of sensitive person, a hairdryer treatment might put me in a shell. And he knew what was what was best for it. Some players, sometimes it was an arm round them. Some the sometimes it was a the hairdryer. So he he'd enough. He wasn't just a kind of come in and shout at everybody. He knew individual players and what 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 you had to do or what you had to say to them to get the best out of them. And he, without a doubt, could do that. Um, what was the best uh, dressing room prank that you've witnessed or performed? Dressing room prank? Well, that's a good one. At the moment, my head's blank. I think it's one that sticks out in my head. Prank. You need to have, if you give me time to think about it, I probably could come up with several, but at the moment, mm. sorry. Sorry, John, my head's just too... All the questions you've asked, that's, that's thrown me. <laughs> Fair enough. You can always come back to it if you um, think about it. You leave me to think about it. I'm, I can even email you and say I, I can remember it, but at the moment it's in my head. I can't think of the best time. What about the the time and Jess left predators underneath your peg? Yeah, oh that that's a good one. That was a genuine one. They left the predators under. And it's the to tell they could actually make me kick the ball straight. But a lot of folk won't know what that means because I think we're well, surely you could kick the ball straight anyway. That was the days when I think I was under a wee bit of pressure from the fans to think, can he play a football at all? But uh, oh, there was, I had always someone, but um, I can't think of some, someone else. But no, Ian's, Ian's Predators, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I remember because I think the, the Predator football boots was to um, make players yep. uh, swear for ball like John Collins to have a free kick at Ibrox and only excuse I think made the joke using use the example so I think that's yeah. I read that in your book that's how I remember that so that was fair that's for you right. no, Predators can make Predators in the day were Adidas Predators they were called and, and they were known for helping you as you say swear for the ball but for me it was the opposite to help me kick the ball straight and that's how the <laughs> It's a quite a complicated joke. You had to, it's one of them you had to be there to get, to get it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was growing up with my time, so I got yeah, it yeah. straight away. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, was he... Was, I forgot where I was going. Uh, what was the best uh, Aberdeen strip that you played in? And we've had some classics and we've had some right... <laughs> um, no, I can't you know, really swear. <laughs> No, mines would be easy. Mines would be the nine, 89 90 season, the JVC one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because it was such a successful season, 
But I think the other thing is it's quite. I thought it was quite a really good stretch, the JVC one. And if, this is what the reward I got for the JVC. You think, oh, JVC sponsored Aberdeen. It must be a good um, deal for them. And the deal we got was you get 10% off of any JVC equipment. So I bought a JVC video that year. I think it was about £450. And you got 10% off. It was 450 after the 10% off. So it would have been 490 or something. That was, that was the perk for wearing the... You'd think the players would get some sort of cut. Obviously, the club must get a good fee for wearing the sponsor in the jersey. But the players got 10% off any electrical equipment you bought. And that's what I got for wearing the JVC jersey. But no, that's, a, that's definitely, for me, the nicest jersey involved JVC. No, the other ones were never... AFAB, AFAB was quite, I wore it quite a lot. That was the time you were saying there about the number of games I played. That was a regular jersey I wore. No, without a doubt. I would think the old Adidas one in the 86 season was a, was a good ret, retro one now, isn't it? That's quite a nice, uh, mm. nice sort of stripe across it. But the Adidas, yeah, the, if that Adidas strip in 85, that was, I like that. Excellent. Um, best um, player that you've um, come up against? Well, we mentioned him earlier, Roberto Baggio, and uh, he would be the hard, hardest player internationally. But I think domestically, Alan McCoy and Mark Hately were a handful. Mark Hately was good in the ground as well as being good in the air. And Ali was always dangerous, popping up and scoring goals, even though he'd done, done nothing during the game. So he was he was a handful. See Mark Hately and Alan McCoy. Yeah. Um, Who's who's the funniest person in the changing room? You can say yourself if you want. No, I've no conversation. I've never got information, but I'm not really a, a comedian. But no, Bobby Connor was was funny. Big, his name his nickname was Roger because I misprinted the paper. But, um, after that, that name stuck. Robert Connor. So it was Roger. It was printed in the paper, and Roger stuck. Uh, all, even his wife used to call him Roger. Yeah. But he was funny, he, and it was just that big Alec McLeish was funny as well. Jim Bett, they were a, they were a wee clique, wee clique that were really, you were always, you'd always be careful, and they were always getting you in the wind up. Um, I'd say they were they were the three guys in the dressing room: Alec, big Alec, Jim Bett, and Bobby Connor. Really, and it was a kind of dodge. It wasn't just um, jokes. They would always be in the wind-up to, to wind you up. And three of them you would never really think is natural funny guys, but they were definitely funny guys. <laughs> Where was the best place for you to go for a um, post-match pint in Aberdeen? Uh, where did we go? I think, I don't know what the, they're, they're all different now. You see the names of the places. See, I, I would have to say, I'll take a, a glass of wine now. I was teetotal during my playing career, so I wouldn't often go out for a drink after I get home and have a meal at home with my wife and go to a restaurant. The place I used to go for a meal was Dizzy's at Queen's Cross. Right. So that, that Dizzy's. OK. 
else. Um, and the last one, last question. Um, I do this with all my guests, so apologies in advance for putting you in the spot. Um, name a best 11 um, from your playing career. Mm, pretty easy. Because I think that, again, I touched on it earlier, that 1990 season, that team was amazing. Theo Snell doesn't go. Stuart McKimmy right back. Alec McLeish centre back. David Robertson left back. Am I not myself? If you want to pick yourself, that's not a problem. What do you see the best team I played with? So if, if you don't, if Big Alec centre back and the other centre back will put in as um, Colin Henry. Played for him a few times. I'm just thinking that. Could the police shoot like Tom Tom Boyd would be the right back with, with Scotland. But I'm just thinking would I put him in no at least in fact put Tom Boyd instead of David Robertson, sorry. Okay. So it's Colin Henry, Alex McLeish, Tom Boyd. Because Tom did play left back. Mm-hmm. Midfield. Midfield would be Gary McAllister. Jim Bett. Um, I'll, I'll go with the unsung hero of Aberdeen, Brian Grant. Mm-hmm. Fit. And then up front, so I'm going 4-3-3. So Charlie Nicholas, Heinz Hillhouse, One. Maybe a bit controversial, but I'll go with Paul Mason. I really like matches person, and he had a great season that that ninety season again when he scored the two goals to beat Rangers in the, the League Cup final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul Mason. Um, <laughs> We were asked to put um, on Facebook to put pictures of our, um, the reasons why you love football. Um, so obviously, apart from yourself and Theo's picture, um, I've got Paul Mason on there as well um, because that was one of the first games that I watched Aberdeen and took a liking to him even before they won that day. So yeah, yeah. No, um, that's a pretty that's a pretty good team. You've left out some big players. You say you've, you've left out David Robertson, you've left out Ian Jess, but um, then you look at that that team there. It's it's pretty impressive. Um, well, listen, thank you very much for your time, Brian, and thanks for all, um, being so honest as I thought you would be. And, um, you know, take care of yourself and stay safe. Uh, you too, man. It's brilliant, John. Keep in touch now. All the best. Oh, well, Brian, thank you. Take care. Yes, thanks a lot. Cheers, yes. John. Bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs>